Hello, everyone. Joshua Gilliland here, one of the two founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. We're at the penultimate episode of Ahsoka. It's just a matter of time before the final one drops. With me to discuss our legal analysis of dreams and madness is Thomas Harper and Stephen Tolafield. Tom, how are you doing tonight? Considering we got within inches of a court-martial on screen in Star Wars, very, very good. Considering we're on the precipice of the last episode of live Star Wars for a little while, I don't know when the next series drops. Excited, but also sad. Stephen, your thoughts? Yeah, same. It was very exciting. I, I, I have the picture of the first Star Wars courthouse in live action behind me. It was very exciting to see a proceeding um, just like an Andor that was a much more abbreviated criminal proceeding. And I guess we'll talk a little bit about what this kind of proceeding was. Yeah, it's, there's a lot to unpack from co proper courtroom attire to <laughs> we now know what dress uniforms look like. So if we do a war crimes trial or court martial, our plans have to change now for what we have to suit up as. And game on we accept the challenge but wow so let's let's talk about what we saw because it's the second trial type proceeding we've seen and or being the first the deleted scene from a solo being in there but it's deleted and from clone wars we do have ahsoka's trial which is wild and all over the place i don't know if this was a trial because it it looks like a senate hearing that's going to refer her to a court martial but there are other arts parts of it that sound like a trial because we have a senator say objection that happens in court that doesn't happen in Senate hearings unless it's something like out of order or, you know, some procedural, it's not an objection, but it's a challenge for reclaiming my time or something along those lines. So this is a different beast. Now, Stephen, why don't you take the first swing at what did we see? Well, it's curious because as you said that Ziono says that there was an objection and objections only come up if there's been an allegation of a breach of a rule of evidence. And so it seems like there's some sort of breach of protocol that he is saying happened. Um, and it that doesn't usually happen in sort of a more informal proceeding. But I'm curious to hear from Thomas, who has more familiarity with the sort of military side of things. And having just seen um, Oppenheimer, where that the sort of B storyline was about the stripping of his security clearance, which was a purely administrative proceeding that didn't have any rules of evidence and no right to counsel or anything like that. I'm curious about whether what the analog to that would be in sort of a challenge to a military leader's authority to lead missions. They had all, uh, to, not to bring in another franchise here, but there were a lot of streams being crossed here. <laughs> yeah. Um, on on one hand, you have the element of her command and, and her leadership. Uh, I'll just set it like real world, an officer in the U.S. military cannot be demoted. So you, you either get thrown out or you can have something happen to end your career, but you can't get demoted. That's not the case for enlisted 
soldiers or service members, uh, the, the lower ranking folks, but just a difference in sort of due, due process ish. Um, so they wouldn't be able to, to demote her, but stripping someone of command is not considered like a criminally punitive action. So there's no, there's no criminal due process for that sort of thing. And in fact, you don't even have to have a hearing. Uh, the, the standard is that the, your superior has lost confidence in your ability to lead and that you have a lot of discretion in. So it, it's a purely administrative matter. The, the person being stripped of their command or stripped of their, their authority is not afforded a hearing. There's, there would be nothing like what we saw. It just happens, right? Um, you could sort of informally appeal it up the chain, but uh, it would be really perfunctory. Um, so in that regard, that aspect of it was true. I, you wouldn't have civilian leadership of the military get involved in those things. That's all like the, the entire military justice system is all uniformed folks bringing cases against other uniformed service members. So it's a little odd to have the, the civilian leadership mixed in there. And it, it's okay. weird too, that there's no rights to appeal from the military courts of justice into the other like an article three court, right? There, there is. So you're a typical court martial is going to be stovepiped until you get to the Supreme court. And by that, I mean, you, you'll have a, a service specific court of uh, criminal court of appeals. So each branch has their own criminal court of appeals that functions kind of like a junior version of our like federal appellate courts. But then you have what's called the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces, which effectively isn't equal to any of your circuit courts of appeal. That sits one under the, the U.S. Supreme Court. A case can be appealed from there to the U.S. Supreme Court. And a few have been granted cert over the years. But um, anyway, so yeah, there is an automatic appeal in, in many cases following a, a conviction. Here you had kind of like a pseudo- like early stage of a court martial it, it like again the civilian leadership mixed in there was weird um you you'd have uh, like a another usually a commander or a superior officer that's bringing like official charges but prior to stepping in a courtroom there's actually a preliminary hearing so we call it an article 32 hearing that kind of resembles a grand jury but not really um it would look something like this, just with a lot fewer people in there. You'd have an officer appointed to be the, the preliminary hearing officer, or foe for short, and they hear a basic amount of evidence. And their job is to determine whether there's uh, there grounds to, to carry this case forward to a court martial. And they render a not a binding recommendation, but a recommendation on what the next step should be. Um, their standard is probable cause, so it's not very high at that uh, at that moment. But the rules of evidence aren't in play. So this business of like, with the exception of relevance, um, anything else goes. It's kind of the wild, wild west. The defense doesn't have the you have the ability to put on a defense. But like speaking from that side of the aisle, you really don't want to lay your cards on the table unless you have a legitimate shot to, to shoot it down. Here, it's interesting because I know we'll get into it, but you have C-3PO brought in. That might be a card that I would play to try to kill this at that early stage. So if you have sort of a trump card that can defeat the charge, in this case, 
she's accused of violating a direct order, but await General Organa, who is technically superior in the chain of command, actually allowed it. So, yeah, and this is where my nosebleed starts happening uh, because <laughs> so the chancellor is presiding over this hearing where we have a senator who is acting more like a prosecutor and a general who's not represented by counsel. That's all weird. Yes. Uh, we we have two other senators and Admiral Akbar not saying anything, but looking surprised. And when 3PO comes in, there are some issues with that, but why would Leia's authorization trump the chancellors so yeah i mean it it doesn't make sense unless you have such a it's like articles of confederation that the chancellor is just so weak that they can't do anything which makes governing hard and issuing orders difficult if you're going to get challenged i mean we we just had the speaker of the house thrown out today, so there's there's that example of like, well, crazy things can happen in real life too. Of you know having a very short tenure uh, and anyone being able to pull the plug on you, but that doesn't seem to be a good way to govern in the Star Wars universe. If we have to have three people come in to say that Leia, as head of the Defense Council authorize the recon mission that's weird i just from command control who's in charge of the government who's in charge of the military it'd be like don't worry you know mr president the secretary of defense gave me author you know gave me orders be like oh okay i wish he had said something that would have been handy if the Secretary of Defense had called me up and said, like, by the way, I authorized this mission, which yeah. would have made this way faster. That's also sus. Like that the, <laughs> the fact that Hera never mentioned, maybe I missed it, but she never mentioned it being authorized by Leia. No. She yeah. No. No, this is all like obviously <laughs> Leia <laughs> covering yeah. some tracks here as a favor or whatever her motivation is. Yeah. Well, the only thing that that moves the needle remotely is is who she is. It's not her position because like in a vacuum, there's a clear chain of command. But like real world, if your secretary of defense were like, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like the equivalent personality, like Audie Murphy from like the most decorated soldier out of World War Two or like Brad Pitt or something like, you know, like somebody. Somebody Barack that just Obama like, like Barack swoops Ob- in, and like- yeah, like post presidencies <laughs> accepted SecDef position. Yeah, it, like that's the only thing that moves the needle here, and I, you almost see like what I would describe as like jury nullification <laughs> more than anything going on here because it's like, well, I mean, C three PO says Leia said it. I like I really don't want to stir up this drama, so let's just move on. So, not that you're not guilty, it's that you know you've undercut some of the underpinnings that and just gotten some jury members against you so we're, we're gonna call this a mulligan don't do it again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just because you were right this time doesn't mean we want you doing this anymore so did, did her 
This I, I don't know the answer to. Was her command restored? Did anything happen to that or she just averted the court martial? I think she averted the court martial and thus averted losing her command. Okay. okay. Which let's pivot to 3PO now with him coming in. So there's uh he comes in and he says, I have a disc here that shows a transcript from Senator Organa giving approval. So Oh boy. Is three pill admitted in any jurisdiction to appear in court? So there's that weird factor of we don't allow non-lawyers to just show up and start talking. You're right. a, you're a witness at that point, or maybe the party, your honor. We just we just sold the toys, like whatever you know they're they're doing, like your honor, I own the vacant lot. Like that, that's the situation that he's not admitted because he's not a real boy. He's a droid that can live for centuries. So there's that of can a droid be an advocate or a droid testify? And he's delivering a, a hearsay document. Now, granted, maybe it's self-authenticating and we can you know dissect that. But there's the issue of like whether or not he uh, is admitted to practice law any place that al allows him to just show up and start talking in court. Yeah. And even if he was, he would have to enter an appearance on behalf of his clients. And there's just, you can't just sort of show up in court and say like, now I'm talking for this person. <laughs> like they, there's no indication that that person has consented to your representation <laughs> or anything like that. It's very funny. Yeah. Okay. Cause you no, know, we would have preferred seeing, Leia show up, go like, whoa, guys, pump the brakes. In real life, we can't do that because one, it's not 1990. So we don't have 1990 Carrie Fisher and we don't have Carrie Fisher at all. So that's a thing that would make this awkward. So 3PO has to show up on, on her behalf because she's raising Ben and, you know, busy trying to protect the Republic. Then there's turning over the transcript. Now there's no, he's not testifying. He's not authenticating the record either. All of that could be done through metadata. Now, when it comes to red light cameras, they can't make hearsay statements because computers don't testify. Thus, there's no hearsay issue. They can also self-authenticate because you can see all of the requirements for when it was made, where it came from, and go through all the authentication steps to show that the material is trustworthy. This might have funky metadata because of timing, because unless Leia backdated something, that could be a problem. And then we're dealing with fraud upon the court, which is also a no-no that you don't go in and lie to a court. Politicians might do it, but once you're under oath, you don't have that legislative privilege anymore, nor is there a litigation privilege either, because if you're offering testimony, it has to be truthful and you can't be lying to the court. So all of that's bad because lawyers aren't supposed to do that. So if a record's coming in that we know to be untruthful, 
we can't let someone lie in court. We, you know, as lawyers, we just shut up at that point and let the client talk if they're saying something that's no, no, um, because we can't perpetuate a fraud. Did that happen here? And I think the answer is yes. And that's super uncomfortable. Seems likely. And maybe that's the basis for um, Ziono's initial objection, because he objects as soon as C-3PO walks in the room. And so he doesn't even know what C-3PO is going to say. And so his objection is based presumably on some sort of rule against droids participating in any sort of proceedings like this. And that's contrary to real world rules, where we assume that anyone can testify. Anyone can be a witness. And I know we said he's probably not a witness at this point, but the the basis of the objection, assuming that the rules of evidence apply, would, would probably be something along those lines. But unless he's, um, we, we let anyone testify as long as they're able to communicate and be understood. And as long as they understand that they have to be truthful. So maybe the basis for prohibiting droids from testifying is that they're not sure that they understand how to be truthful. <laughs> and so maybe that's why C-3PO is suspect from the get-go. Or he is being truthful because he's saying what he knows. Yeah. And, and Leia's not there, so that way she doesn't have to lie in public as her way of, of avoiding uh, a, a get-thrown-out-of-the-Senate offense for you know, lying under oath, even though the record is highly problematic because did they lie? <laughs> like, did they lie? Now, maybe the communication is I'll look into it or go do what you think is right. It's something that's amorphic that maybe someone reasonably could look at that and go like, yeah, she clearly had authorization, even though it sounds like it's not an express yes, but it wasn't express no either. So like, which is not a good order, but yeah, Thomas, you, you look ready to jump in here. <laughs> no, I just, I, my mind went to, there's no way that 3PO actually knows she's lying. Cause he would have either, he put up a fuss about, you know, his programming and, and not being able to perpetuate a fraud and was just lay hit the reset button or she just pulled one over on him <laughs> probably with the help of R2. Oh yeah. We know R2 could do this. Yeah, no would, problem. Yeah. But people can't speak that you, it, it'd be difficult to translate binary in there. Yeah. And <laughs> cause C3PO could, I, I see him wigging out easily and, and choking on doing the mission can you so, imagine cross-examining 3po he would just crumble yeah it just, <laughs> so this he's abnormally on his game with this is bs i'm not going through another war no 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 bad senator so like maybe maybe he was very animated that day of we're not doing this crap again i did it once no uh, and I don't remember the Clone Wars, but I know it happened and I was there, but no. So maybe it's a little of that. I, I also just observed that Chopper seemed to protest a little too much when uh, Ziona was like, a mere droid can't testify. And he's like, why? We're super trustworthy. <laughs> Chopper, of all people, writes. 
and you know, and, and Carson patting the, the head with no, calm down. It's okay. Shh. Outbursts will not be permitted in this courtroom. <laughs> but again, we have the X-Wing pilot just tossing out. What about what happened on Mandalore? Excuse me. What are you doing? And there's no comments from the peanut gallery. That's not how courtrooms work. It's not how a Senate hearing works. Like you're not there under oath and you're not representing anyone. Why did he toss that out other than for melodramatic behavior? Not appropriate. Okay. There's <laughs> artistic license, poetic license. Yeah, yeah. So Stephen, you you added a, a bunch of notes. I want to be sure that we uh, hit this. So you raised the issue of, is the transcript relevant? Can you elaborate on this, please? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're, I kind of approached it as like a bar exam question, because you have to start from the beginning of whether the evidence is admissible. Um, the first question is always, is it relevant? And it's, uh, it purports to be a tran data transcript of Leia authorizing this mission, which would tend to prove that Hera had a good faith belief that she was authorized to engage in the conduct and is therefore not guilty of any sort of um, insubordination. But that's, again, the question really remains about whether this purported authorization from Leia came before or after her hearing with Ziono, because if it was after, that makes sense. But Leia wouldn't would have presumably contacted Ziono to straighten things out but if it happened before she, and she got the authorization, but then Ziona told her not to, that seems like she was still violating some sort of order. So this, the the relevance is, it's relevant, but what it tends to prove is kind of ambiguous. Well, then it, it goes also to just a muddy chain of command because it doesn't look like you actually have an executive branch and a legislative branch. It looks like the legislative branch has senators in its executive positions, which is weird. Like it's it's almost like a parliament type situation, but not, it's just, it's different than what we have. Like the secretary of defense doesn't get a vote. Secretary of state doesn't vote because they're not senators doing a second job. Like you, you don't get to serve in two branches of government at the same time, you get one. So that's weird. It's just it's just weird to that that this is happening. Now, if she had authorization from Leia and then Ziono does this quasi hearing where Leia's not involved, that's like daddy trying to undercut mommy after mommy said go to the store and daddy's saying, like, no, you can't. Leia's in charge here. So like he's inter, you know, Ziono's then interfering in orders that Leia gave, which is problematic. Yeah, yeah. And if and if Hera had heard from Leia after the hearing, like if Leia had said, "Yeah, I heard about this. I'm overriding them. Go on the mission," you would think that if Hera would have mentioned that before now, <laughs> they would have straightened it out. But that's just all, again, going to the fact that this is all really unreliable and very suspect. And Leia was in communication with them while they were on the planet, because Leia is apparently trying to stall and cover for them. 
you know, her issuing orders then and there of like proceed and investigate and I'm approving your mission could have ended the problem as well. Because then when, the, you know, uh, the chancellor calls, she could say, well, Hera could have said, I'm operating under Leia's orders. And that would have given her a shield uh, that could have worked. But she didn't say that because it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's also, it's, um, I think, a, a little interesting that you've got Mon Mothma, who is would theoretically have to offer evidence, right? She would, she'd be the one to provide the evidence that the order was issued, that you know, all the elements of the offense, but she's sitting in some sort of judgment there. Uh, she's certainly not in the witness box and she stays conveniently silent <laughs> during all of this. Yeah. It's a weirdly not impartial, but sort of, I like to the extent she's ruling on objections about the admissibility of evidence from her buddies. That seems <laughs> pretty. It's not good. This is not a good legal system to operate under. We have separation of powers for a reason. And here's a government that has no separation of powers. It's like the senators are acting as courts. They're acting as the, uh, legislative branch and the executive branch, that's all weird. Part of what Montesquieu and Madison argue with the, the type of government we get where there's a legislative branch, a judicial branch, and an executive branch means that they counterbalance each other and there are checks and balances. This is, don't worry about it, system of government that is a great way to have corruption explode in an ugly way with whoever's in charge is going to be issuing out pardons and kangaroo courts. This is not good. Our heroes get away with it because... Star Wars. Star Wars, but it's like there, there needs to be some serious reforms for a government to function so you don't have senators playing prosecutor. Now it's, I mean, like I don't have a problem with this, you know, a Senate investigation of you guys knew abuse was taking place and you did nothing. Roast those generals alive for letting harm happen to service people. Good. Or you knew an attack was coming and you didn't do anything. Not okay. So again, this is why we have a 9-11 report. It's why for all the horrible sexual abuse cases in the military, people are held accountable or fired and new people brought in. So again, this is just, it's just freaking weird. Uh, yeah. So there's some more issues with the transcript. Uh, Stephen, can you regale us with what the best evidence rule is? Right. Yeah, that you always have to consider, too, whenever you get a document in court, you have to consider whether it's the best evidence, which means that it's, it has to be an original um, of the document and not just some sort of random copy of something that could have been altered or is an other, otherwise somehow unreliable. Um, but it seems like this is, he doesn't say it's a copy of a data transcript. He says it is the data transcript. So that seems okay. Um, the question then finally remains about whether an out-of-court statement, like a record of this kind, is hearsay and therefore inadmissible. And of course, it's being offered for the truth of the matter asserted. It's being offered to prove that Leah authorized 
admission. So it would be hearsay, but under the federal rules of evidence, there's an exception for this kind of hearsay that can be admitted, which is public records. And assuming that this is a kind of transcript that would have been created in the normal course of the agency's proceedings, um, and there's no sort of other um, questions about its authenticity, then it can be admitted, even though it's hearsay to prove the truth of the matter asserted. But then that just sort of circles back to Ziono's second um, objection when he when he hears that it's a data transcript and it's being offered by C-3PO, maybe his objection is going to the fact that because a droid that is sort of in the Star Wars universe, basically a slave and maybe not reliable, that there's these questions about the authenticity of the document, um, and therefore he's objecting on that basis. Who knows? You also have this weird wrinkle that uh, because she's been accused of violating a direct order, you you possibly have an argument for, for an exception to the, the hearsay rule uh, in that Leia's utterance, so that out-of-court statement that's in order, would be a legally operative fact. So basically, if there's an independent legal significance behind a statement uh, that, that is the reason you need to bring it in, you right. can get around that, that rule. And yeah. so if you're bringing it in for the purpose that Hera needs it, I think you've got a decent argument there. That's true. He, she could argue that it's not being submitted for the truth of the matter is just that the fact that it was said at all i got an order exactly yeah. and the the existence of that order supports her story that's a good point it's then it's not even hearsay it's not being offered for the truth right oh the effect on the listener argument i've never liked that but because <laughs> right. when i coached high school mock trial the students would just rely on that it's like stop it no there is an exception Argue the exception. Don't wimp out with something that means so it's not relevant. It's not helpful. It's and at the end of the day, by trying to explain the conduct based upon what they heard, we're ending up with truth of the matter asserted. So make the argument because it's an excited utterance or a present sense impression or a declaration against interest, whatever. Argue it. This Again, I do think we could we could look at the metadata and find a way for it to be admissible or attack its admissibility because uh, it could be a self-authenticating document. And some there's ESI that falls into that category now, depending on what it came from, uh, you know, that explains how it was made. And you don't necessarily need a witness anymore to testify about all those things. Uh, but there are times when you do. Uh, and with Leia not being there to say, I gave this order, we're now in this self-authentication camp, which is just, uh, it's just problematic. <laughs> so it's just, it's just problematic. So many issues, but it was so fun to see that trial. It was kind of, it was very cool. Again, C-3PO coming to the day. It was very Perry Mason, the surprise witness who like <laughs> saves the day at the end. It was very good. Yeah. Unfair surprisery. Uh, let's. And plus, I mean, those jackets do look pretty hot. Let's let's be honest. We we all want the outfit, you know. I, I mean, the Eisenhower waistcoats—they look good. Let's do it. Let's giddy up. Let's all go get them. 
uh, I'm like, and they're all, it's, it's familiar, but they're different colors now. And that's like for the entire uniform for their dress uniform. So game on cosplayers get to work costume people get to work <laughs> credit cards are ready to go christmas is coming so let's uh let's go back to peridia or peridian pretty wherever ahsoka and everyone is Perid- yeah i was i i in my mind it rhymes with perdition yeah per- which is per- yeah how I've been thinking about it too. Kind so, of it's a root word, yeah. Uh, and a Tom Hanks movie that's kind of weird and uncomfortable to watch. So mobs are bad. And we have minefields. Like those are kind of an act of war offense when you decide to like m- do a blockade through a minefield. And when you start targeting space whales, that just seems to be a low blow because those... We we don't like people who hunt whales. They are not valued. We sure America was built on a as a whaling nation initially. We made lots of money doing that, and then we realized there was more to uh, uh, clean burning lamp oil, and found other ways to uh, get that product and make the country not be in the dark. Plus, from what I'm told, whale meat is not tasty. However. Also significant though to some indigenous cultures too. And do they, and I gather, do they, um, they, do they get permits to sort of hunt whales as sort of on a limited basis, like uh, Alaskan um, indigenous tribes? They, they have to have. They must, right? In order for them to do like the ceremonial whale hunt, there there has to be an approval process in place. There has to be paperwork that presumably doesn't involve weapons of mass destruction, yeah. <laughs> like like space mines. Yeah, <laughs> they they don't use the grenade launcher to go hunt a humpback because <laughs> that that would end that process pretty quickly. With yeah, we're we're okay with indigenous people you know, going on a ceremonial whale hunt. This like, this is who they are. But if they're using an M60, done. <laughs> done. No fuel air explosive on the whale. Permit denied. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no. Um, the palm. <laughs> yeah, it's just... <laughs> I mean, it's just a no-no. It's like, we went after the whale with a mine. It's like, no. And and the whales peace out pretty quickly. So I mean they they didn't stick around to be targets. And even if they did go there to die, that that's not a you know I'm sure there's some other feeding ground that they can go hang out at. Not trying to go out like that with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, grandpa wants a minefield at the end. So, but we see. Uh, Thrawn hanging out with his uh, uh, coven of witches who are performing services for him. And and Stephen, can you break down the contract issues that Thrawn has with the witches? I'd be, I'm so interested where they get their spooky magic laser pointers because I so want one with my like PowerPoints to have like a little orb. That'd be so classic. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they have, we don't know quite enough about their arrangement yet to understand exactly what the witches are getting out of this. Because um, in every contract, of course, for it to be binding, you have to have, each party has to give up something to get something. So usually it's like a price or performance or some sort of um, tit for tat. And it doesn't have to be much, but it has to be something that's meaningful to each side. Um, and it's unclear at this point, um, Thrawn has presumably gotten from them some assistance while he's been trapped in Peridia. He's uh, survived um, with his crew, presumably. And um, and they um, have some cargo that they're loading onto the ship. So they've, they've retrieved something from the planet, presumably with the witch's permission. Um, what the witches are getting out of it, to me, is unclear. Maybe you have thoughts about what they're getting um but whether if it strikes me as odd that they're just doing this out of the evilness of their heart you'd think that they are gonna get something out of it yeah i don't think they're john the bastard of like we're here just because we're the bad guys i think they want to ride back that they want to leave where they have been for potentially thousands of years we don't know how old they are they could be millennia old and they want to go back to the other galaxy if they want to ride, then helping Thrawn's in their interest in order to get that ride off the planet. Yeah, what that ride or the transport of the these items or dead people, whatever, from the catacombs seems to be very significant to them. And it would make sense that he's their only ticket off, that they're not able to rely on like you're not going to load all that cargo onto a waiting pergill <laughs> to to go back here boy um, here boy yeah it's just what their end game is is probably speculation it would make sense if they're trying to reestablish their religion back in the main galaxy you know the uh night sisters have been wiped out by this point in time i don't know that they've been reestablished um so something along those lines there's certainly a vacuum to some extent in in terms of like the force using world, and so they're not pure force users, but they're you know perhaps they sense a an opportunity there. But it's you know they're, they're clearly leveraging significant power on a repeated basis, and they're pretty obsequious towards Thrawn. Like it's it's. Uh, that's been an interesting twist given how, how much power that they wield, but it's, it seems like they're, whatever their, um, whatever his end of the bargain is, their end is to support his efforts and whatever he needs to get off the planet and complete his end. It's in their mutual interest to do so. So they, you know, whether repeated use of those little laser balls, they'll do it as many times as it takes until they jump. The contract can't be, we want you to leave and not come back. <laughs> that that seems weird. Seems plausible. unlikely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plausible, but unlikely. I think they want to hitch a ride back and then they'll go raise hell with the Imperial Remnant. That would give us stories for a while in multiple series, if not a movie. So that seems to make sense. Curious, though, why Balin thinks that there's something of great power on that planet and they seem to not be interested or not know about it. I'm curious about what's going on with that dynamic. Maybe it's just a different relationship to the force 
that they know their witchy magic and he knows <laughs> the force. Um, I mean, I haven't rewatched the Clone Wars cartoon that has the Night Sisters and Jar Jar and Mace Windu on an adventure, but uh, there was a the Degoyans. Yeah, there there's a few things that happened with them. Yeah, what. Uh, it it seemed to me it, it reminded me of of Qui Gon. So like not not every Jedi in the Order studies the archives and and has this sort of in depth knowledge. But he also recalls sort of early teachings that seems like it's fairly commonplace in the Order at at that time to teach younglings or Padawans this sort of early universe history. Um, but he reminds me of somebody like a Qui-Gon who's, who's sort of studying the lore in depth, who is sort of um, part of his belief system is anchored in, in some of those things that other members of the order might regard as just fantasy or myth. Yep. But a Qui-Gon who went mercenary, which is yes an interesting concept. Like this is an interesting villain who's not just another Sith big guy who can wield a lightsaber and be scary. He's actually thoughtful, which so charming. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like the way he, he kind of convinces um, Sabine to come with him. And he's so he's so um, devilish in that way. That, and I think it was actually happy that Ahsoka lived. Yeah. You know, not necessarily like, hey, let's hang out. We'll do brunch. But, you know, it would have been a shame if you had died. He and didn't hate it, right? No, he didn't hate it. Nor does he try to kill her. And she doesn't try to kill him. So, it's a again, it's just different. Which is nice to see in a story. That it's not just kill the bad guy and, and move on. That there's some depth and complexity here. Which brings us to, uh, well, let's talk more about Balin. So, you know, we don't have this on the the outline, but is Balin breaking his contract by not helping Shin and the uh, troopers go out and eliminate Sabine, Ezra, and all the turtle people? Certainly seems like Thrawn considers it to be a breach because he's <laughs> he notices that Balin's not there and then it kind of has a couple snide remarks about like how well they did considering that Balin didn't bother to show up um, to the thing <laughs> that he promised to show up to. Um, and in a previous episode, I think he said that Shin and Balin will be there to take care of them. So he expected that Balin would be there um, and I, it seems like he considers it a breach. I think... Yeah. Oh, go on, Tom. No, I was just going to comment on how, like, that was such a great moment, just Thrawn's annoyance with all of it. Like, this one piece on the chessboard that, that he's accounted for or thought he had is slightly out of place. And uh, it it bothers him about as much as anything could bother Thrawn. I love his Settlers of Catan chessboard, by the way. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> so great. <laughs> he traded the witch's wheat and iron for their services it's clear yeah and laser pointers so i'm wondering if balan's not cool with 
he originally has his contract with Morgan Elsbeth, and now all of a sudden she's assigned it to Thrawn. Maybe he doesn't see that as the deal. And he feels a level of it's unconscionable to keep going with this because this is not what I contracted for. You know, it's, you know, you can assign a contract to somebody else, but maybe that's he's not happy with how that went. I don't know if that's grounds for a breach, uh, but it's definitely it's, it'd be worth some legal analysis. Yeah, I mean, personal contracts, like if you contract with a specific artist to do a painting and then they try to assign that to another artist, that's that's a breach. You can't, if, if it's a per, something personal, like if he expected Morgan to be the one to perform, then he he wouldn't be breaching to walk away from it. But yeah, that's a good question. I wonder what their arrangement was. Yeah, yeah if it's, we'll get to this other galaxy and then Thrawn's in charge, like that, okay, then he would have known. And then and that was the you know bargain he signed up for. Or is this just a different category now that he's not happy that I don't want to be talking to the blue guy because I know he wants to, you know, I as soon as he said, I want you to kill Sabine and Ezra, maybe he wanted to check out at that point of going like, this is not like she trusted me and now you're burning my credibility because you want me to murder her. Thanks. That's why will you performed, but after that, it's going to be really hard for people to trust him. Yeah, just anywho, let's get into uh, did Balin have a legal duty to accompany Shin or come to her aid during the fight? And uh, Stephen, was that yours or or Tom? No, I I dropped that in there. Um, so it was a very interesting moment compared to what we've seen of masters and Padawans before where you have, it, it, it was almost reminiscent of Obi-Wan leaving Luke in the death star, but sort of a twist, like a twisted version of that. Uh, you even get the line, something along the lines of you know, your, your death or my destiny lies along a different pathway than yours, but it's a little nefarious sounding when it comes out of Balin's mouth. I don't think there's a legal duty, uh, a meaningful legal duty or any legal duty of Balin to accompany her. I, I don't think they're, even though they have that uh, mentor mentee or teacher student relationship, um, even in the context of, um, I think t- the, the only exception would be he's knowingly sending her into danger. Does he have, like, he's creating this, this sort of dangerous situation for her. Would he need to accompany her? But it's not clear that, even within the Jedi Order, they perceive that sort of legal duty to exist. Padawans get sent to do really dangerous stuff all the time and not always with masters. So I don't think that exists. Um, once she's in the fight against three Force users, which was amazing, by the way, seeing a, watching Ahsoka join the fight was like that moment in a video game where you're like, oh, well, <laughs> might as well quit now. Um, whether Balin, if he perceived through the force or whatever, uh, this danger to, or whether he would have a duty. And again, I don't, it would hinge on that, that relationship, that master apprentice relationship. Um, and I don't know that it, ex- I still don't know that it exists there. Um, curious to Stephen, Josh, what you guys think about that? 
go first. Yeah, it is a really interesting relationship. You make a good point because she still has a Padawan braid. So they they sort of like very true. Yeah, they're sort of like calling back to a Jedi Padawan relationship, but they wear all black and their lightsabers are red-ish, maybe not totally red, but um, so they're kind of like dark Jedi. Um, and they and he does have sort of a weirdly nurturing relationship with her. He's not sort of forcing her to do all sorts of weird and twisted things like you or ordinarily see an apprentice being made to do by a Sith master. Um, but also maybe Balin is interested in avoiding that Sith apprentice relationship because the outcome of that is usually the apprentice trying to kill the master <laughs> to assume to be the to be the Sith. Um, so it is curious and they, they seem to be kind of blurring the the Sith Jedi dichotomy a little bit. I don't want to talk about gray Jedi. That's not a thing. <laughs> but um, but it's it's interesting how um, how they are taking pieces from both sides to couple together this relationship. Um, and he's and and I don't know that. I think you're right. I don't know that he has a duty necessarily. He's in fact at some point in every teacher student relationship, you have to say, okay, student, now you're going to do the thing. I can't do it for you anymore. And maybe that's this is his point of sort of kicking the the student out of the nest to let her fly on her own to a murderous end. It's it's a hell of a way to take the training wheels off of, I want you to go kill those two people. It's like you stabbed one already. And Tom, I noticed that you said three force users, so you're counting Sabine. So bravo for sneaking that in. Uh, I have belief. I, 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 I sure. do t- I think she's she's gonna move a cup. I mean, she'll she'll a she, noodle at the very least, maybe. She I mean, talked to Ahsoka through the force. Yeah, that was huge. So yeah. like that was that was huge of being able to go like, okay, it's I mean part, part of the issue with the midichlorians is it's like saying there's a religious test. Your blood type shows how Catholic you are. Like that's not how faith works. Like it's just it's just not on the flip side they did need a, a way to explain why yoda was super you know skilled with the fo- force and as was luke and while others could be less so so again the the m count i understand why it was necessary to introduce that but again there's there's no confirmation test based on blood type it's like what you believe and getting back to what do you believe is a nice trend for Ahsoka, or Sabine and Ahsoka to have that relationship, to show maybe a little bit more that it's more than just luck of who you were born to, that maybe the Force can choose you to, to be an instrument. And if they go that road tonight, cool. Like, be nice to see Sabine catch the lightsaber. Like, whatever they do... It would be nice to see something along those lines. Uh, but that said, did Balin have a duty to go help? No. I mean, now there arguably might be a special relationship between the two. Uh, this might be the only time that we've seen that, uh, yeah, there's no duty to aid, duty to help, duty to rescue, unless there's a special relationship he's responsible for her so like that might be the difference here but 
arguably he did try to aid her because he tried to stop Ahsoka. And, you know, uh, Huan got the drop on him with a bunch of missiles. And Ahsoka rode off on the Howler. Like, maybe he did meet the requirement. You know, because without Ahsoka, uh, it was a fair fight for Shin. Especially considering Ezra turned down the lightsaber and just (laughs) crazily used the force for most of the fight. So, I mean, he's Ahsoka has spares. Like, he's going to need to pick one up. Uh, I do appreciate the echoing Yoda, you know, quote, for the force is my ally. Cool. All on board with that and doing the force pushes and, and everything. Cool. But he ends up having to pick up a blaster. So getting a spare lightsaber from the closet. Go for it, dude. You've done blue and you've done green. Just lean into it. It's, you know, you're you're going to need it here. Uh, now... Did Ezra and company have a legal duty to avoid killing Shin after the stormtroopers evacuated and left her alone? She a POW at that point? No, absolutely not. Uh, So the difference, it's sometimes a subtle one, but as far as the law is concerned in a conflict situation like this, you have to be out of the fight. So injury or death is, is one way. Um, but surrender is another way. So you can't be, you know, to have that status or to combat is the, the term. You can't be taking an active part in the fight. She's alone. She's badly mismatched at this point. Although I'll point out that, like, my hopes and dreams for the night troopers were dashed when they pretty much just fought like normal stormtroopers. But she doesn't surrender. She doesn't give up. She stands there, maybe considers it. For a minute but she still has her lightsaber it's still ignited and even the business of a retreat doesn't mean that you're out of the fight so a, a retreating soldier is not a surrendering soldier right so that's why like battle of hoth empire strikes back completely lawful for those atats to be shooting rebel soldiers as they flee um so no they didn't have a, a legal duty i thought it was a really poignant really interesting moment like Visually, it was amazing to see uh, that sort of juxtaposition of uh, that. That you, you, we always talk about the draw to the dark side. We've only heard Kylo Ren talk about the pull to the light, but you felt that a little here. But they could have struck her down, and it would have been lawful. I agree. Like she's she's outmatched, but she's not throwing down the weapon, and. Like they, when she rides off on the howler, you know, they let her go, even though Sabine was ready to go after her and finish the job. So maybe she was right. Maybe not. There's a, you know, when there are moments like that, I do think of the red badge of courage or saving private Ryan of you let the, you let that dude live and he kills you later. So problem not advocating for just murdering POWs, but doesn't would have, been, exactly. would have been very unjedi like it's okay in a fight. Which, right. Red Badge of Courage was at least, if I remember right, and it's 30 years, he doesn't take the shot when it would, would have been a lawful shot. And that guy ends up killing him later. Flip side, 
Saving Private Ryan with the POW, who then turns out to be a real problem later. Yeah, that would have been full-on murder and a war crime if they had killed him. Like, dig your own grave and then we'll shoot you. Not, not okay. All right. Now, I do want to highlight when those stormtroopers get taken out, there's no green smoke coming out of them. They ain't zombies. They're just beat up. So, wow, wow. Which makes sense. They've had a rough decade. They're so crafty, though, with their red ribbons uh, decorating their armor. It's so... I mean... It's so Etsy. I love it. Is it a One lot? piece of flair is the minimum, but you're encouraged to have more than one piece of yeah, flair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know we're going to see cosplayers like that from the 501st just go hog wild now with like, well, okay, we can... It's no, I'm a night trooper. It's totally cool. <laughs> it's this beat oh, up man. armor. These red ribbons let the games begin. So, uh, I mean, there are people. There has to be people working on it right now. I I would be shocked if there was not that they're getting ready for the next convention so they could go and show off their night trooper armor and power to them for doing that. The next Star Wars celebration is in Japan. Can you just picture it? Like it's going to oh. be so amazing. Those night troopers that they have are going to be awesome. Yeah, it makes me want to go. Um, price be damned, but um, yes, we can definitely talk about that. So anyway, we're at the end. So we're going to sign off soon. We're gonna, everyone will order tacos, and then we'll watch the final episode. And uh, we'll be back to discuss uh, the the finale, whether it's the series finale or season one finale. We'll find out in due time. Uh, but this has been fun. And let's see what the end holds. So wherever you are, stay safe, stay healthy, and of course, stay geeky. Take care. <laughs>